0: Welcome to Crossroads. Man, what a great morning. What a great way to start watching Emmy's baptism today. What a sweet... A uh, young lady and just to her ability to be able to speak and to proclaim her faith in Jesus is so wonderful to see. In fact, uh, it's one of the things that we love about Crossroads is to be able to tell people's story, to watch people proclaim their faith as they get dunked in the waters of baptism. When we look at the scriptures and open up the Bible, what we see is this believe and be baptized, believe and be baptized, believe and be baptized. You believe and then you follow that in baptism as an outward expression of an inward reality of what God is doing Uh, in and through our lives. And so my encouragement today on the heels of Emmy's uh, testimony of faith and her baptism is if you are here today and you believe, if you would say that you're a follower of Jesus and you have not yet been baptized, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, We make it really easy here at Crossroads. You can simply text the word next uh, to 720-513-1933. And on the other end is Doug. And Doug helps everybody walk through their baptism journey from the video recording to their story to actually getting baptized on that day. And so, if that's uh, something you haven't done yet and you're a believer in Jesus, I would encourage you uh, to do that. So, with that said, I want to welcome all of you joining us online at Fort Lupton, of course, here at Thornton. If you are new with us, welcome. Uh, my name is Matt Manning, I'm the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church. And today, Uh, we are wrapping up our six-week series on parenting that we've called The Six Truths That Every Parent Uh, Needs to Know, where we have looked at these six truths, these six unchangeable principles, these realities that we find uh, in the scriptures that apply to our lives as parents. Now, obviously, as we've gone through much of this sermon series, uh, all the stuff that we've talked about has been directed towards parents, and obviously it needed to be so. But this week, as I was studying and putting stuff together, Um, I found this quote by a comedian uh, named Tom Papa that was about children or giving advice to children. It was just too good to pass up. So if you're a child here today, which is probably all of us since we're living, um, you can just take this uh, for what it is. When it comes to your parents, give them some respect for keeping you alive with the comforting knowledge that, of course, your parents are dumb. Like, I thought, man, that is just perfect advice for kids. And anybody who is a parent knows how difficult this parenting thing is, and how oftentimes we feel like the dumbest person in the room when we're trying to parent, and if you have teenagers, you're reminded that you are the dumbest person in the room, right? And so, um, you know, the good news for us is that as we've approached this series, what we found is, is that we're opening the scriptures, the Bible actually has some things to tell us, that God actually has some wisdom and knowledge, even some advice to how we go about this thing called parenting. And so over these last six weeks, we've looked at these six truths. We'll just run through them really quick of where we've been and where we'll be today. So these six truths, first truth, truth number one is what you do matters. What you do makes a difference. And in that first week, we really looked at what does successful parenting look like? We explored successful parenting. And while most of us, when it comes to parenting and the success of parenting, would, would answer that in light of who our child, what our child does, or what they become, the Bible looks at it quite differently. And the Bible defines success in parenting as the opportunity that we take time and time again to point our kids to the existence of God and the goodness of God. That what we discovered is that we are instruments in the hands of a powerful God, an almighty God, that we are being used, that what we do matters, what we do makes a difference. And then week two, we looked at the second truth, which is that you're not a parent because you're able. And that week, we explored kind of the reality of our inadequacy as parents and the feelings that come with being a parent, of feeling dumb or like we don't know what we're doing or that we don't have what it takes. And what we discovered that week is that there's actually this thing called God's grace, and it's not just for the past, it's not just for the future, but there's this present reality of grace in our lives now. And in that grace, God gives us what we need in order to do the task of parenting that he's called us to do. Then week three, we looked at the third truth, which is character formation is greater than behavioral modification. And what we discovered that week is that we're never ever just simply dealing with the words and behaviors of our kids, of our children, but actually we're dealing with what causes those words and those behaviors, their heart, that your kids don't just have a behavior problem, they have a heart problem. And the way that we go about solving the heart problem is through character formation, which led us to the fourth truth, which is the best change happens slowly over time. And the reality for every single one of us is that we just don't change overnight, do we? And yet that week we took a step back and we actually looked at our lives and the spiritual journeys that we're on in relationship to God. And as we saw, as we walk through this journey of life, we see that our own transformation of becoming more like God, of becoming the people that we want to be, that it doesn't just happen overnight in the snap of a fingers. that it's actually a lifelong process that in church world we call sanctification. And if that's true of us as adults, as parents, it's certainly true of our kids, Then last week, Pastor Kim was here, and he talked about how heartbreak happens, that if you have children, you will suffer, you will have pain because of your kids. That's a truth and reality that we live with in this world. And our tendency is is to ask in those moments, why? Why did you do this? God, why did you allow this to happen? And yet the reality is is that as as we go through moments of suffering in our own lives, oftentimes, when we ask the question why, it's not a bad question to ask, but it's insufficient. That we never get the answer that we're quite looking for in that. And the better question to ask is, what's now? Like, what do we do now? And what do we do now is, is we look for the right message. And the right message tells us to lean in hard to the arms of Jesus, which brings us to the sixth and final truth that your parenting is shaped by your identity, and so today, as we jump into this truth, to help us with this final truth today, I want to talk about the significance of story, all right? That's where we're going to start. Now, I love a good story. I love uh, fictional books. My favorite fictional author is John Grisham. You've probably heard of him. I love his books. Um, in fact, my favorite book is a book about story. It's a nonfiction book called A Thousand Miles um, in a Million, Oh, I said that wrong. It's A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. That's the name of the book, and it's by Donald Miller, and what's so fascinating about it is that Donald Miller wrote a memoir about his life called Blue Like Jazz. It was turned into a book and then Hollywood got a hold of it and they were going to turn it into a movie. And so all these writers showed up and they started tearing apart Donald Miller's life, his memoirs, and they started tearing it apart so that they could tell like a grander story. And Donald was like, what are you doing? This is my story. And they're like, it's not good enough for the movies, man. Like we got to make it better. And so Donald Miller was like, can you live a life worthy of the movies? Can you tell a story with your life worthy of that? And so he sat down and he uh, wrote a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years that talks about great story and how we can live uh, lives of meaning. It's a great, great book. And speaking of movies, I love movies. Almost every movie I love. In fact, as I was thinking about this week, I was like, is there a movie that I don't like? Like, I'm a pretty easy critic. Like, tell a good story or blow some stuff up. Either way, I'm going to be happy, right? So, I was trying to think, and I remembered years ago, Pastor Chris told me to watch The Breakfast Club. You remember 1980s Molly Ringwald? Yeah, that movie's awful, all right? So that's the one that I don't like. That's the one, <laughs> apparently I've offended some of you. Yes, so that movie is not on my movie list, all right? I didn't think it was a good story, and nobody, nothing got blown up. So um, in light of all that, right, that oftentimes when we talk about story, we place it in like the context of entertainment, right? Like we read fictional books to be entertained or watch movies or TV shows to be entertained. And yet, and yet when it comes to the best of story, when it comes to the best of story, it is more significant than entertainment. That the best of story or the best of, of narrative is actually so foundational to how we think, that story determines how we understand and live life itself, that when we talk about story in this sense, what we're talking about is worldview, all right? So we're going to go philosophical for a few minutes. Just hang with me in this, okay? When we're talking about the concept of story in this way, in, this, in, the, in the understanding of, of worldview, the concept and understanding of worldview actually comes from the Germans, and there's a German word. We'll put it on the screen here for you. You actually pronounce it weltanschauung which means comprehensive perspective from which we interpret all of reality. That a worldview isn't just a bullet list of philosophical thoughts. It's more than that. A worldview really is this master narrative, this, this fundamental story of what human life in this world is like, what made it go off balance, and how do we get it back to the way that it was supposed to be, to the right way. And nobody can function in this world without some working knowledge of those concepts, of those categories. So in order to try to explain these things, we adopt a world story, a meta-narrative, a world view. And one of the central questions when it comes to worldview discussions is the question of identity or meaning or purpose. That every person in some way or another at some time in their life will ask this one important question, and it's this. Who am I? Who am I? What in this life, how do I find meaning and purpose? Where is my identity found as I live out this life? Who am I? The way that you answer this question, the way that you answer this question will determine much about how you live your life. That no action that we take, no reaction that we have ever happens in a vacuum. That every action that we have, every reaction that we have is connected to who I believe that I am It's connected to who I believe God is. It's connected to what I value and what I believe is most important in this life. See, at a street level reality is this, is that we don't really live based on the facts of our existence. We don't really live our lives based on the facts of our existence, but based on the sense that we have of how we're making out those facts. It's why you and I can be in the same situation, with the very same exact facts and approach it completely differently. That the reason that we approach the same situation with the same facts differently is because of the grid in which we're looking at the world through. It it all has to do with our worldview. So in light of all of this, it should be of no surprise to us that our parenting is shaped by our worldview. And every parent asks at some time or another, they ask this Question, where do I find my meaning and my purpose in my parenting? Where do I find meaning and purpose in parenting? And the way that you answer that question will determine not only how you live, but also how you speak to your children, how you react to your children, that you act and respond as a parent, not because of, of why your children, who your children are or even what they are doing, but you and you act and respond as a parent based on your worldview and the way that you are interpreting who they are and what they're doing. Let me give you an example of this. Kind of show of hands, how many of you in like a moment of parenting exhaustion have ever looked at your child and said, I can't believe you would ever do this to me. Anybody? Yeah, it's quite a few of you. Okay, good. Almost all of us. Yeah. Now, let me say, if you answered your question, that... You giving me that answer does not make you a bad parent, okay? There's a lot of things that make you a bad parent in life. That's not one of them, all right? We have all been there uh, in that moment of parenting exhaustion. But what's going on there, if you've, if you've ever said that, then you're not responding to the facts of the situation, but the interpretation of those facts through the grid of your worldview. And your interpretation is that what your child has done, whether you acknowledge it or not... What your child has done is in some way, somehow, a personal attack on who you are or what you believe in some way. That you are not just simply looking at the facts, that you are viewing those facts through your grid, your worldview grid, and responding or acting out of that worldview. That every Every parent, every single parent here has a worldview and every single parent is asking the question of identity when it comes to their worldview. So here's the thing. Now when it comes to our worldview and this understanding of identity, there's only two places for us to look when it comes to our identity. That we can look vertically or we can look horizontally. We can look vertically towards the deity, this is where major world religion comes in to help us put into a category of how to understand these things. Or we can look at the creation and try to understand our identity when it comes to the horizontal landscape that we see. Now, to help us understand this truth today, what I want us to do is walk through a short few verses in John chapter 1, all right? So if you have your Bible, John chapter 1 is where we're going to be. We're going to be in verses 9 through 13, just for a few moments so that we you can turn there with your Bible, whether you have a paper or a phone, you can turn it on. If not, it'll be on the screen for us to look at. Now, as you open your Bibles to that, know that when we're talking about John we're talking about Jesus most likely his very best friend but oftentimes when we read about John in the scriptures we see him named as the one whom Jesus loved that it was John when Jesus was hanging on the cross and taking his final breath that John was there at his feet and he looks at his best bud John and he says John will you take care of my mom That as he's taking these final breaths and his concerns about his mother, he looks to John, not his brothers, but to John and says, John, will you take care of mom for me? That as we look at John throughout the Gospels and and throughout the New Testament account for us, we see that from the moment that he comes to know Jesus, to trust Jesus as a Savior, to begin following Jesus to the moment of his death, is just one long faithful journey of his faith. And so John... 60 years after Jesus' crucifixion, sits down and he writes an account of Jesus' life. He writes a story of Jesus' life. In the Bible, we call these gospels. They're just a narrative account of Jesus' life. And in them, he writes these words, starting in John chapter 1, verse 9, he says this, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, the true light that John is talking about here is Jesus. And what he's saying is that Jesus is coming into this world as light. He's he's coming into the darkness of this world. He's coming to overcome the darkness by bringing light into this world. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now, verse 10 is theologically rich. Because what John is saying is that Jesus... That everything that is created, is created in and through Jesus. That everything that we experience, everything we touch, everything that we smell, everything that we see in creation was created in and through Jesus as God. That that's who Jesus is. He is the creator, he's, he's, everything in and through him is being created into this world. And John goes on and he says, yet the world did not know him. That when Jesus came into this world, the world did not recognize him. They did not recognize him as God, they did not see him as the Messiah. They did not see him as the one who came to save. And John goes on and goes, that's doubly true for the Jews, that Jesus came, into, came to his own. He came to the Jewish people, the Israelites. And for the Israelites, if you know biblical history, that from Genesis chapter 3, there was this promise made that a Savior would come into the world and take care of the darkness, take care of the sin, make things right again. And all of the Old Testament is commentary of this one, this promised one who's going to be coming into the world, that the Jews were trained. They were looking for, they were longing for, they were waiting in anticipation for the Messiah, the Savior, who would come and save the world. And John says he arrived and his own people didn't see it. They didn't receive him. They missed him. He goes on, verse 12, But to all all who did believe, who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That is an identity statement, a worldview moment. Verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, what John is saying is that all that we experience in this world was created by, in, and through Jesus as God. But the people of this world did not recognize that. See, the story, the worldview, the intention from the Bible is that we would get our identity vertically by receiving Jesus. That The Bible often refers to uh, this kind of of change in our life, this this identity in our lives by saying that that we are born again, that there is a new birth that once we trust Jesus as our savior, that we are adopted as, as children of God, that we are rescued from the darkness and, and we are put into the light, that we are born into a new family. And what's really interesting about this passage, particularly when we, when we talk about it in light of identity, is John says that when we become, when we receive Jesus as our savior, that we become children of God and that all the rights and privileges that are of the children of God are, are given to us, that they're, that they're given to us for, us for us to have. And what's so fascinating about this is that John says that, that those who believe in Jesus are born again not of, of natural flesh or of human will. And this is so fascinating because whether John knows it knows it in this moment when he's writing this or not, what he's actually taking on is the two most prominent forms of identity in our world today. That your identity is always rooted in something. That when we talk about human descent, what we're talking about is family. And if you've ever been outside of Western culture, you've ever been in a non-Western culture, then you'll understand how this works, that, that we've had the opportunity to travel to Lebanon a couple of times in the Middle East, And in the Middle East, what's always put forward, what's always of most value, is the family name. That when you make introductions in the Middle East, it's always first and foremost where you're from, who you you represent. And so I would say something like, my name is Matt Manning, the son of Mike. That's how it would be perceived. And so there's a guy that we work with there in Lebanon. His name is Pierre Husni. He runs Horizons International, an organization that we support as a church. And his dad is George Husni. And if you ever drop George's name in Lebanon, the whole world opens up because of what he's done for Lebanon and his work that he's done in Lebanon. And so when it comes to Pierre Housni, Pierre is living in his dad's name, that, he's, that the things that he has access to in Lebanon and, and the way that he can move about is, is because of his dad's George's name. Now, there's great stuff that comes from that, but there's also a pressure if you've ever lived in that kind of society or culture that comes with representing the name well. That you have to live up to it, that you have to achieve to the family name. And there's a lot of pressure in that. But for her, us here in the West, it's, it's different, isn't it? We, we so value ourselves being individualistic, and, and so we're more of the human will, that we get to decide who we are, that, that I decide who I am, that it's my choice, it's my will. And for many of us, and in, in Western thinkers, we think of this as freedom, don't we? Like this is, this is freedom for us to decide what we want to do, and yet the reality is that there is a lot of pressure that comes with it, isn't there? Because whatever it is that I choose my, that I choose to be, that as soon as I cease being that, as soon as I fail to become what I've determined I'm going to be, that there is a lot of pressure. There is a lot of pressure to achieve that choice that I make. Interestingly, John says that when you are born of God, that you are not born of human descent, that is family, nor are you born of human will, that is decision, but instead you are being born of God with all the rights and privileges as a child of God. This is so important, we're gonna put it on the screen, that with God, your identity your identity is not achieved, it is received. That with God, your identity is received, not achieved. That your identity is rooted in love, that God has this unimaginable, unconditional affection for you, that God is your Father, that you get this new identity, and it's so different from the identities that we have in this, in this world. That once you define your identity vertically, not horizontally, that no matter what's happening in your life or in your life as a parent in relationships to your kid, that you can wake up every morning knowing, knowing that God, the most important and compassionate being in the entire world, loves you. And not only is he like forgiving you, but he's also working in and through your lives to bring about the deepest satisfactions of the needs of your hearts, that God isn't up there just like fleeing promises everywhere, that God is walking with you, that he is present with you. See, the Bible in this moment in John chapter one is acting like a mirror that we look into where we rightly see us as we are. That I'm rightly able to see me for who I am, which is so different than the way that we normally look at ourselves. That so often when we're looking for identity, particularly when we look horizontal for our identity, we're looking in mirrors that are like the carnival mirrors. You know what I'm talking about? The ones at the fair? Like where you look at yourself and and you see yourself, but you're distorted. Like, you know, one might have you like big shoulders, big legs, skinny, you know, waist. You move to the next one, I'm short and fat. The next one, I'm tall and skinny. Like, Like you're able to see yourself, but you're just seeing a distorted view of yourself. See, the normal human dilemma is to look for identity horizontally when we are hardwired by God to see it vertically in his son, Jesus. And unfortunately, for so many of us, for so many of us, this is how we define ourselves, that we look horizontally, we look at our marriage, we look at our work, we look at how much wealth we have or how famous we are, We look at our athletic body or or our kids. That all of those things provide some sense of of identity in our lives, but all of them are seriously distorted. And unfortunately for so many of us, parenting provides a powerful, powerful identity, sense of identity for us. And it's so easy for us to walk into and it's so hard for us to fight, but there's a reality that we've seen over these last couple of, of weeks That you are parenting a child who is lost, who is selfish, at times foolish, full of sin in their lives, and you look at them and you go, That's where I'm gonna get my identity. I mean, it's insanity. And yet on top of that, then we place this burden on our children's shoulders that they cannot carry and it sucks the life out of their shoals. I mean, imagine for some of you, this is your life, that you've lived with the burden of your parent placing their identity on your shoulders and it has sucked the life out of you. Like we, we look at this and we see this, that no child would succeed at that, that we've all heard of parents living vicariously through their children. This is an example of this and it never ends Well, that if you're a person, and specifically a parent here today, and you're not receiving your identity vertically, but you're looking horizontally, if that's you, the problem is that created things were never, ever designed to do that. They were never, ever designed to give you meaning and purpose and identity in this life. They were never designed to satisfy your hearts. I mean, it's discouraging, To wake up every day knowing that you need a little immature sinner to perform well for you to feel good about your life. (laughs) I mean, it's exhausting, isn't it? It's exhausting to chase after success and to never be fully satisfied. That regardless of age, your children cannot give you life. They cannot give you sustainable hope. They cannot give you value and worth. Every good thing in creation is designed to point to the one great thing, that being God, who can ultimately satisfy the deepest needs of your heart. It's the one God who can ultimately ultimately put forth your true identity, which is received, not achieved. So I want to help you today, kind of diagnose where you're at. I don't want this just to be a theoretical, kind of worldview, philosophical sermon, but practically, how do we take this home with us And so we're going to diagnose our lives. So if you're here today and you're thinking, well, I'm not sure if I'm getting my identity from my parenting or not, here's some ways that I'm going to help you, all right? Think of it as like a roadmap of where we're going, all right? So number one, here it is, that you are possibly getting your identity from parenting if you have a big concern about your reputation. Here's the diagnostic question that you need to ask, is how important is your reputation to you? How important is it to you about the way that others think about your kids? Hear me on this. This might be the most important thing that you walk away with today, that God did not give you your kids to build your reputation, but to publicly display his. That is a truth that you need to bury deep down into your hearts, that God did not give you kids to build your reputation. He gave you kids to publicly declare his. See, as parents, oftentimes we are way too worried about what others think about who I am or what I do or who my kids are or what my kids do. And the Bible calls this the fear of man. And it's the fear of man that that causes us to hide and deny and even present our kids, regardless of their age, as perfect to the world around us. And let me tell you, when it comes to this, as a pastor, this is one of the great temptations. This is one of the great temptations. It's so easy to fall into that oftentimes our culture, when it comes to pastors or people who are on church staff or even church people, that culture likes to present us as perfect, don't they? Like we're these perfect plastic people when the reality is, just in case you have any ill-conceived notions, we are not perfect, right? That you, the staff, the pastors, that because I'm preaching today does not mean that I'm perfect, like, I got issues like everybody else. Our kids, we got issues like, like everybody else has issues. That there are no perfect people, just a group of people. Crossroads Church is just a group of people trying to do good, love mercy, and honor God to the best of our ability. You may be getting your identity from parenting if you are concerned about your reputation. Number two, you're possibly getting your identity from parenting if you place too much focus on the accomplishments of your child. Now, this may go without saying, but let me go ahead and say it anyways. Every parent who loves their child wants them to do well. Like, we're not sitting on the sidelines of our kids' football game hoping that they trip over their feet and, you know, uh, don't score the touchdown. Like, none of us are hoping that our kids fail or, or fall short of the goals in this life. Like, every single one of us wants to see our kids accomplish something. Like every single one of us wants our kids to be proudly acknowledged for what they've succeeded in in this life, that we all want the attaboys to come our child's way, that that we want to see our children have grit and, and to try hard and to accomplish great things in this life. But when your child's accomplishments becomes an obsession, when it becomes the focus, when it becomes all that matters in this life, then we as parents have crossed the line. We've crossed the line. And what I've found is that you want your child to succeed because you need your child to succeed. And in doing so, with that kind of focus on their success, the reality is it's not very spiritually healthy, and let's be honest, it's not very physically healthy because the focus is rooted in asking your child to give you the satisfaction that they will never be able to give you in their life. This one's so huge, it's so important. In a moment of vulnerability, this is my biggest struggle in life. That I have to remind myself all the time that God did not harness the forces of nature, work through the very minutes of history in order to bring his son Jesus into this world so that I might be successful. That God came and he did the unthinkable. He did the unimaginable, he did the most loving thing in the world, that he stepped into our reality to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to be raised three days later, not so that I would be successful, but so that I would be saved, so that you and I would be reconnected to the God who created us. See, what you and I need most in this world is not success, it's to be redeemed. What your kids need most in this world is not success, but to be rescued. That if you're putting all of your focus and energy and efforts on your kids being successful, your identity as a parent, as your identity as a person might be in your parenting. The third one is this is you're possibly getting your identity from parenting if you are fixed on doing rather than being. Doing rather than being. The reality is that we live in a do-have be kind of society. It's a worldview whose core belief about who we are is grounded in what we do. And oftentimes, we think of it like this logically. If I do fill in the blank, then I will have fill in the blank, and then I will become fill in your blank. The way that you fill in those blanks will govern how you live. And so when it comes to parenting, oftentimes, here's what we do. We go this, that if I do the work of parenting well... If I do this parenting thing well, then I will have children who succeed, and then I will be favored in God's eyes. If I do this parenting thing well, I'll have kids who are good, and then I'll be loved by God. And so oftentimes, that's how we live out our lives when it comes to our horizontal identities if I do this then I'll have this and this is what I'll be and then we live in so much fear because what if my kid doesn't turn out well despite my efforts as a parent does that really mean that God's favor is not upon me does it really mean that I'm not loved I mean what if I train my child up in the ways that he should go and then he doesn't Does God really frown upon me in those moments? And so we live with this fear and this anxiety in our lives, and we we look at those questions like, if I don't do, then I won't have, and then I'll never become, and it's paralyzing to us. I mean, how many times in your life have you been paralyzed by the fear, by the battles of envy, by relational conflicts, where that's fueling who you are and the fears that you have? And yet here's the good news is that when it comes to Jesus, as we've seen, that Jesus comes with the good news of the gospel and he delivers us from our darkness. He delivers us from that kind of thinking and he declares because of the gospel that in doing, everything flows out of our being. And in a moment, he turns it all on his head from do have be to be have do. And all of a sudden, we start to answer the question like this. I am fill in your blank. I have fill in your blank. Therefore, I do. If you're a, if you're a believer in Jesus, fill it in this way: that I am a child of God, I have relationship with God forever. Therefore, I do the will of the Father. See, your doing is not based, is not is not achieved in this moment. That your identity, your being, is received, and your doing is an outwork of, I mean, of that. See, when it comes to this idea of being and doing, so often we lose sight of this, that living out the be instead of the do makes all the difference in the world. Instead of chasing our identity by trying hard to do in this life, we simply receive the true identity given to us by Jesus because of what he did on the cross for us. That we accept that we are children of God. Born again, because of a loving savior and we just simply are. That's who we are, we simply are.